It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's our second annual show with predictions about the year ahead. Or at least in my case, what will I get wrong? We go back in time and we will share our predictions from a year ago. Yeah, and you know, like most people, we probably remember the things we were right about and forgot our screw-ups. It was slightly humbling to go back and listen to some of my predictions from last year. Are we ready? Here we go. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? I think I said this last year, I'm pretty terrible at forecasting the future. But based on my predictions of a year ago, actually no worse than many leading pundits who dress up in their best clothes, go on TV, and seem so confident and so certain about their own prognostications that are often wrong. In the first half of the show, we're going to face the truth about last year's forecast. And then in the second half, we'll go out on a limb again. So let's first hit fast rewind on last year's predictions. Our first forecast was about COVID. In January of last year, there were about 400 deaths a day caused by the virus. Both of us predicted that the retreat from COVID would continue. I said the daily death toll uh, at the end of 2023 would be about 100 a day. And I said it would be about 130. So we were close and we were actually right about these numbers. So we begin with a win for our predictions. I just checked the last week of December. Uh, it was a, a, about 120 deaths a day. So uh, it was kind of a bit right between our estimates. It was higher earlier in the month, but earlier in the year, it was qu- quite a bit lower. So we're in a bit of a surge right now, but I would say that's a that's a pretty good prediction. A good prediction, but still a terrible tragedy, which continues. Um, and I think the numbers for COVID deaths are still at least double the numbers for the flu, but nothing like what we were facing a year ago. Our second forecast. Did we think America had reached peak fear? Was the dread everyone was experiencing last year going to dissipate? And both of us said we thought things would get better. Yeah, I thought the fear would decline because COVID numbers were going down. And I claimed at the time that we were beginning to retreat to some kind of new normal. And (laughs) that was totally wrong. 
But Richard, you and I are both optimists. And so, you know, I'm not going to apologize for endlessly hoping that, that we'll return to some kind of normalcy. Your third prediction a year ago, Jim, was that Donald Trump's role in our politics would continue to fade and that would reduce worries about threats to democracy. Yeah, boy, that that was a miss. Uh, we also forecast who would be the 2024 frontrunners for the presidential nomination. I picked Biden for the Democrats. That seems to be on track so far, at least. But I also uh, kind of went on a limb and predicted that neither Trump nor DeSantis would be the nominee on the Republican side. At the time I made the prediction, uh, DeSantis was actually leading Trump. Uh, DeSantis, I agree with you, and I did at the time, that he was just too humorless and whiny to be the candidate of the Republican Party in, in the in the primary. So often uh, people come out of the gate strong and uh, and their candidacies end up to be a disaster. Yeah, but of course the biggest factor here was all those indictments starting in New York in March and then three federal indictments in August. If the Democrats wanted to put Trump back on the map, they definitely succeeded. For a lot of Republicans, polls showed a lot of them were willing to look to at alternatives to Trump. Some people were getting tired of him. But it's a little bit like if you're out with a group of teenage boys and somebody says, oh, I'm so annoyed with my mom. She won't let me do anything. And somebody else goes, yeah, and she's fat too. Well, there's going to be a fight. <laughs> that kid's going to stick up for his mom. And I think that's what Republicans are doing with Trump. The idea of marginalizing Trump through indictments Leaving aside the legitimacy or lack thereof has totally backfired, unless Democrats want Trump to run for president, which I think some do. From politics to AI, your fourth forecast was spot on, and I think you were ahead of the curve in last year's show. The influence of artificial intelligence would really take off. You said a lot of college and job applications would be written during 2023 using chat GPT. Uh, we'll discuss more about AI in our forecast part of the show later. Jim, were you surprised by anything about artificial intelligence in the past year? All is proceeding as I predicted. <laughs> forecast number five was about Twitter. We both said correctly that it would still be around. I said incorrectly that it might be more widely used than it was a year ago. But, you know, at the time, a lot of people were predicting that Twitter was just going to completely collapse and everyone was going to abandon it. And that hasn't happened. It remains pretty robust. I still find it really useful in my work, uh, keeping track of developments in all kinds of different fields from nuclear power to, to AI to politics. It is a lot more chaotic. You know, there's a lot less filtering. There's a lot less use of algorithms to keep out some of the kind of troublemakers. People thought that would all have a right wing tilt under Musk. But in fact, as I follow news about uh, the war in Gaza, for example, uh, Twitter is allowing a lot of really extreme sort of pro-Hamas uh, voices into the mix. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but it, maybe it's a, it gives you at least it gives you a sense of, of what's going on out there in the world. I also think one of the most telling things here is neither of us have caved into calling it what Elon Musk wants us to call it, which is X. Yeah, X. 
Prediction number six was on immigration. I said Biden policy on the southern border would change meaningfully at the end of 2023 with the approach of the election season. Was I right? Way too optimistic on that one. I forecast that the administration would do the bare minimum, maybe some superficial window dressing about the situation at the border. And they barely even did that. In December, border officials encountered on uh, as many as 10,000 migrants crossing a day. It's a real crisis. And I'm really struck that the Biden administration has not been willing to be more flexible on this, given that even most Democrats would like to see uh, more sensible policies. Yeah, and I'm among them. I mean, I'm kind of center left and an advocate for immigration. I'd actually like to welcome more people who want a job and contribute to our economy. But immigration should be legal and not chaotic. I got to say it, I want a wall or at least a better form of protection against the desperation, the suffering and the total disorder at the border. That's not good for anybody. Wow. Building a wall. You know, that idea sounds kind <laughs> Faintly of familiar. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we talked about this. And like you, I sympathize with these people, but a lot of them are coming in uh, as economic migrants making claims for asylum, virtually none of which are valid. Uh, they're being picked up by border um, officials and then released into the country with court dates that are years in the future. This is a recipe for creating yet another huge surge of of people living in the shadows in this country. It's not a good policy. I wouldn't go quite as far as you. I think there are I think there are people who do come across as political refugees, but yeah, their cases are put off for years and that doesn't contribute to a sense that the system is working. Our next question was whether the U.S. would make it through 2023 without a major energy catastrophe, some kind of collapse of the grid, uh, extended blackouts, or another energy price spike. Uh, You're our energy expert, Jim. Your answer to this? I I didn't predict that we would definitely have an electricity crisis in um, in 2023, but it was a high likelihood, and I think that's still true. Uh, we got lucky with the weather last year, uh, but uh, NERC, the North American Energy Reliability Corporation, which is kind of in charge for making sure that we have enough electric power, says our electricity reserves are down 8% from last year, and half the country is at risk of blackouts if there's an extended cold period. So that's electricity. Uh, Energy prices for fossil fuels are down thanks to uh, prodigious efforts of America's fossil fuel industry, record oil and gas production this year, record exports of fossil fuel. You know, both things can be true at once. We can have a vulnerable electricity system and a robust system of of, uh, producing uh, our uh, fossil fuels. There's also been a turnaround from both the U.S. government and overseas, especially in Europe, a strong shift towards being more pro-nuclear power as a way of cutting carbon emissions. There's a growing public acceptance now that wind, solar, hydroelectric, and geothermal are not enough on their own to end a, a widespread dependence on fossil fuels. Not so fast on geothermal there. We haven't really tested it. There's some really interesting geothermal uh, projects in the pipeline. That might be a good factor in the future. 
you know, you're absolutely right about the growing acceptance of nuclear at the UN COP uh, climate conference this year. More than 20 countries pledged to triple their output of nuclear power. That's more aspirational than realistic, but it's a really good sign. On the flip side, this year, uh, the most promising, the kind of front runner in deploying the next generation of nuclear reactors, uh, that project collapsed uh, this year. I've got a piece about this in City Journal up now, and that's a real disappointment for people for people like me who are really looking for a nuclear renaissance in this country. We'll have a link to that City Journal article on our website. The next forecast was on the economy, and this, Jim, was my moment of triumph. I said inflation would be cut in half during 2023 and that we'd avoid a recession more optimistic than most economists had forecast. Yes. So I predicted that inflation would be at about 5%. So yeah, the wind goes to you on that one, Richard. So you outpredicted the the nation's uh, leading economists here, and maybe the credit for this is due to your your years as a, a business reporter on the radio. Well, whatever I did, it was it was shocking. Our final forecast was on events overseas. We both said the war in Ukraine would not be closer to ending by now. And sadly, that turned out to be correct. And Jim, your forecast was better than mine. You said Ukraine might win a little bit more territory uh, during 2023, but that by now the lines of conflict would harden. Both sides would dig in along lines that resemble what happened in World War I. That was that was absolutely right, and I was wrong in my optimism that Ukraine would do better than the consensus forecast. And we also both talked a bit about China and its changing position in the world. Yeah, I think China is going to be the big story that's just kind of under the surface. We both said that we thought China would be weaker and more dangerous today than a year ago. That is definitely happening in in a number of ways. We're seeing this alliance, this growing alliance between China, and it's kind of making Russia its client state. If you look at the flows of goods and and, and weapons from China to, to Russia and its proxies, it's a, a real strong trend. And China's economy is sputtering. Uh, and that's a, a, a real concern because a country that's running into economic headwinds is not necessarily a safer or less warlike country. Let's just say I'm a little nervous. Coming up, our outlook for 2024. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Jim, I want to start this part of the show with an acknowledgement that uh, James Bennett is right. He's the former Opinion Pages editor at the New York Times, and he wrote this recently about the news media. It was an article critical of the direction of the New York Times. Bennett said, journalism that starts out assuming it knows the answers can be far less valuable to the reader than a journalism that starts out with a humbling awareness that it knows nothing. Uh, I have a lot of opinions, and I know you do, but I really don't know that much about the complexity of the world. Yeah, I think that James Bennett piece in The Economist is is really important. It was about two and a half years ago, he was forced out of the editorial section editor. James Bennett was a star reporter at The New York Times, then went off to do a fantastic job as editor of The Atlantic for quite a few years, came back to The Times, assuming he was coming back to an institution that focuses on on facts and and editorial rigor and is open to a diverse range of opinions. And then he was pretty shocked and dismayed to find that things have really, really changed, especially in the era after the, the George Floyd killing. So the issues that he raises in that piece are ones we will be grappling with for a long time, I think, is what is the role of these, you know, there's no good name for it, the woke worldview or identity politics. And how will that shape our politics and our society going forward? And I think we're in a real battle if we're going to reclaim some of these traditional enlightenment values of individuality, uh, free speech, open inquiry, tolerance of diverse opinions. We're really going to have to fight for them. That brings us to our first prediction for 2024. Yeah, politics and the U.S. election. Richard, who do you think will win the upcoming presidential election? Well, I'm happy with neither candidate, but I do think that Biden will probably pull it out against Trump. Uh, Trump is the weakest Republican candidate uh, that uh, Biden could run against. If it was to be Nikki Haley, I think Biden would lose by a large majority. But uh, I think the negatives um, against Trump... Um, with criminal indictments and much more besides, we'll just keep piling up against him. Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, those indictments earlier, they help him with the primary voters uh, who love a good fight and they think it just shows that the system is corrupt. And the system is, in some of those cases, I think uh, is somewhat corrupt in going after Trump. Throwing him off of ballots in Colorado and Maine is, is I think, insane. You can't save democracy by not letting people vote for the candidate they want. But I'm going to side with you on this one. I think it's a close call. I think Biden will pull it out. And I think when Trump is back in front of people with his constant controversies and stuff, I think he's going to re-alienate a lot of people. But who knows? It could be really close. He's polling ahead of Biden in a lot of swing states right now. And he's winning support among uh, some black voters, Hispanic voters, and other groups who uh, who voted for Biden in the last election. You know, I was looking up something um, about the 1992 race when Ross Perot captured more than 19% of the popular vote. Perot declared in late February 
of that year um, as an independent candidate. It's still not impossible that a, somebody, a third party candidate, a no labels person will make a real dent because people have made it very clear that they want neither Trump nor Biden. I don't think it's beyond possibility that there could be a third party candidate. It's harder for third parties to get on the ballot now, though. I, think, I don't think there's time for a genuine third party run. Second prediction. Growing chaos in the Middle East. Do you think there'll be a wider war involving Israel and uh, extremist Arab groups and perhaps even one or two Arab nations? I think there will be spreading kind of proxy wars or low-level wars. I don't think there'll be a full-blown uh, wider war. I think Hezbollah may become, uh, in Lebanon, backed by Iran, may become more active, and we may see uh, Israel have to take action in, in Lebanon. We're going to see growing action against the Houthis that are, are, again, supported by Iran, that are challenging shipping in the Red Sea. But I do not think we're going to see full-blown open warfare involving uh, multiple countries. Uh, that, and I consider this an optimistic prediction. Uh, the most optimistic forecast I'll make, and this might surprise some people, Saudi Arabia will uh, recognize Israel. What needs to change in order to encourage that process along is for the the Biden administration to to back off on what I think is their very misguided efforts to somehow placate or empower Iran to create a, a nuclear deal uh, with Iran that I think was, you know, that was a mistake. Biden's administration's attempt to to revive it was a mistake. And, and now we're seeing Iran behind so much of the trouble that's happened in the Middle East. It's time to go back to recognizing Iran as a very dangerous troublemaker in the whole region. Let's move on to artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, will it be considered more of a plus or a minus by the end of 2024? I think the paranoia about artificial intelligence is never going to go away and shouldn't go away because there are serious things to worry about there. But I think we're going to see less news about AI, but more recognition that it's having a positive impact on many industries. There will be disruptions. There will be changes. Some will come faster than people would like. But the efficiencies that AI is going to bring to so many industries are going to have a lot of benefits in fields such as medicine, uh, law, other areas where being able to do things faster and cheaper and, and especially just better will be really valuable. I think we'll see more regulation of AI because it is troubling that the regulation so far is largely private regulation of AI rather than something that government should be involved in. I'm I'm not opposed to the idea that some regulation might be necessary. I have less than zero confidence in either state or the federal government's ability to figure out how to do it. <laughs> There's my uh, squishy libertarian friend. Next, our forecasts on the economy. So what's your pick, Richard? Inflation rate a year from now. Two and a half percent, which is not much lower than it is right now, but a little bit. I think we'll continue to see some progress. I may actually be too pessimistic. What I think has really happened is that the 
extreme supply demand imbalance that happened during COVID because of supply chain disruptions has really finally sorted itself out. And we're probably going back much more closely to the kind of inflation rates we had. That said, I still don't know whether it's going to affect uh, consumer views of the economy, because while inflation has come down, the rise in inflation was such a shock to so many people. And we're not talking about lower prices. We're just talking about price rises going up more slowly, that many people will still be very concerned about inflation uh, going into the election in November. Yeah, there is a stay in economics. Uh, prices are sticky downwards. Also, perceptions of the health of the economy are sticky People cling to a bad perception for a long time, even after a lot of the numbers look better. So I'm uh, I'm with you on that. My prediction, I'm, I'm going to go with you. I think two and a half, three percent sounds about right. You know, the Federal Reserve pulled off something that that is that elusive soft landing, and and it's pretty impressive. So I'm I and I I will also go on the record saying I don't think there'll be a recession. You always often say, Richard, don't bet against the American economy. And I think the American economy, uh, compared to anywhere else in the world, still has a lot of yeah, strengths. Yeah, it's, it's really very strong. And I think that if there is a recession in 2024, it will be caused largely by international, not domestic events. You know, if China's economy really collapses, that has an impact around the world. Final drum roll. Jim, what are your hopes for 2024? Not your predictions necessarily, but things that you think might end up being better than most people expect. I think we're going to continue to see good news in the healthcare field. There's a lot of promising stuff going on in terms of cancer research and other things. So that's a hope that I think will be realized. I'm always hopeful that we will have some semblance of political sanity coming back. You know, a year ago when people worried about political sanity, they were talking about this kind of Trumpian populism. Now that conversation centers a lot more about extremism of woke identity ideology on college campuses that has spread out to the country at large. I mean, just I, was it this morning or yesterday morning that that the major bridges and tunnels into New York City were blocked by highly organized pro-Hamas demonstrators. And that's a kind of, of extremism, an anti-American ideology that I think is, is more than worrisome. And so my hope would be that people recognize how bad that's gotten and come back uh, to Come back to the middle. Come back to common sense. I agree with what you said about the pro-Hamas protesters. I do think that the biggest threat to the country is still from populism on the right. Um, and having a president in the White House who would not even believe in the basics of the Constitution and democracy, that is still a very frightening prospect. My hope is that after the election is held, that there'll be a rallying for uh, democratic principles and public institutions. That's a hope. It's not a prediction. <laughs> I wish I shared your optimism on that. We'll, we'll circle back a year from now and find out. Jim, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to, to share and hear your ideas, and even when I don't agree with them. 
that's the point of our podcast, isn't it? So that you can you can disagree and and still enjoy the conversation. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Uh, How Do We Fix It? is produced by Davies Content. We make podcasts for nonprofit groups. Check us out. We're at DaviesContent.com. And thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. 